Everything all right, fellas? He loves her. Well, that's great. Thanks. You're welcome. I love her. We know. Welcome to episode 21 of I Think I Like This Movie, America's Least Necessary Film Criticism Podcast. This week, we travel back to the final weeks of America's last innocent summer with Summer Catch, ostensibly a baseball movie that swings in and out of plausibility with the same ease as it adopts and ditches its New England accents. The film stars Freddie Prince Jr., Jessica Biel, Matthew Lillard, Wilder Rama, Brittany Murphy, Brian Dennehy, John C. McGinley, and Fred Ward. So channel your inner barnacle bark as we watch two beautiful idiots slowly fall in love against the backdrop of a supporting cast that really hopes you don't remember Bull Durham. Our guest this week, who brought us this film, literally helps pay the bills around this place and is also maritally bound to me legally in the District of Columbia, Micah Backus. Micah, if all you have to do to get to the big leagues is allow yourself to succeed, why didn't you tell me that? I'm sorry. I I guess going back to these uh, wedding vows that didn't include, I will listen to every episode of every podcast you do. Um, It didn't include the uh, really successful motivational speaker to you as well. So I'm sorry I failed you. Well, I guess you have to allow yourself to succeed and also be left-handed, which I'm not. So that's really... And also be allowed to skirt the rules of the Cape Cod Baseball League. Yeah, we will definitely get into all the ways (laughs) in which this film uh, is not loyal to the sport that it is documenting. (laughs) And I don't know, seems to be like an homage to, like specifically the Cape Cod League uh, has some pretty glaring holes. But before we get into all of that, this is your movie, Micah. Uh, we must start at the beginning. Why did you think you liked this movie? And uh, tell us a little bit about what you remember from the first time you saw it. Like, where were you? Who were you with? Any any, any other, you know, impressions? So I remember almost nothing about the first and only time I watched it. Um, I do remember it came on TV, like Showtime or HBO. I don't know. So I, I watched it on TV. So I don't even remember if there were things that were edited out of the version I watched the first time I watched it. Like what, um, year, what, year, what year are we talking about here? 2009. Yeah, it's a, well after it had come out. It's, it's yes. a, a 2001 movie. So. Yes, to be clear, I was going into seventh grade whenever the movie originally came out. So I don't think I would have been allowed to have seen it in theaters. Um, but I did watch it on my own. Um, I think my junior year of college, that roommate or that uh, apartment I was living in. And I remember where I was living. I guess I was actually going into my sophomore year. Anyway, these are a lot of details that we don't need. No, this is this the is the whole thing. We, 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 <laughs> you should listen to more episodes because this we, we, the whole point is the per, your personal relationship to the movie. Having this whole thought process, I remember very specifically the apartment I was sitting in. I remember I was watching it alone. Um, I was there over a summer, and my roommates were kind of in and out that summer, so I was alone watching it. I do remember, and the reason I remember so specifically when and where I watched the movie was because every June something. I get a reminder on Facebook that says Micah is watching Summer Catch from however many years ago 2009 was. So not only did I watch it, I was so excited about watching it that I posted the fact that I was watching it on Facebook and then proceeded to remember basically nothing about the movie. Um, but I have a my own little history with college baseball. I worked with our uh, baseball team at Baylor, so I'm sure that is part of the reason I was so excited to watch the movie I'm sure I had this thought in my head that what I I would like identify with Jessica Biel's character in some way you have a a massive summer home on Cape Cod with a a pool 
<laughs> yeah, that's another thing I haven't told you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, did, well, did you have any background with this movie? Absolutely none. Absolutely yeah. none. And yeah, I, I mean, did you did you even heard of it? No, I, I had no idea what it was. It's one of the reasons I entitled the the invitation even to the Zoom just like summer batch. Like I have no idea what this is. <laughs> Which yeah. is kind of crazy because like so many people who were super famous and popular at the time were in it. It was kind of crazy. Like you don't even remember hearing about it at the time. Yeah, it's a pretty big cast. Uh, we all got uh, pretty distracted right after the movie came out, so maybe yeah. that's part of the reason why. Yeah, uh, as mm-hmm. as uh, several other uh, films in our catalog, uh, episode two, the uh, tool that time forgot with Big Trouble, uh, it was supposed to come out about six weeks after this film. This one came out uh, August twenty fourth, I think it was two thousand one. Uh, it did not do terribly well at the box office as a late summer release. Really feels like an early summer release. This feels like a last day of school kind of like you know the the, the kind of popcorny. We were talking about this last night when we were when we were watching it. It's basically an, an excuse to get a bunch of young fit people almost naked. And it was like it's just, it's an extraordinarily horny movie. Yeah, it's PG thirteen in every possible way. Yeah, like the, it's the whole not like film. an overtly sexual or gross movie, which is one of the things that I was kind of like worried, worriedly expecting going are, into. Are you it. sure? Are you sure you want to commit to that statement? <laughs> I mean, I was. I think this really more speaks to my expectations. Like, I was like, oh my god, is this going to be like a Euro trip or like Van Wilder or like something that is just like was gross at the time and is grosser now? But like. It is an extremely horny movie, but not it's not as, as disgusting as I was um, kind of worried well, expecting it to be. I, so I hadn't seen this either, but I wasn't sure because I'd seen so many previews so many times over the years. And they there's so much like the preview is basically just like the horniest thing. It's just, they're just like it's just like sex joke after cool sex scene, joke. And, yeah. yeah, right. Like they really play that up in in the previews to where like. When you actually get to the movie, all that stuff's there, but nothing more than that is there. Like it's, it's not. They sell it almost as like, oh, this is gonna be really raunchy, and then it's like you never even the main characters never even have sex. Like you don't yeah, like, you have never no idea. Yeah. See them do more than like kiss in a pool. Like I mean, literally, that's or as on far a blanket as, while he talks about his dead mother. Like right, the, there yeah. are no real sex scenes. There are hints at sex scenes. There are things approaching sex, but there. Nobody has sex in this movie. But I think that one of the things that they wanted to make sure that they got in there, and this is why I do think it's creepy, Jessica Biel in a sheer top running through the rain. Oh, yeah. She just, like, wasn't wearing a bra that day, which, like, wasn't even her thing. Like, every other scene you see her in, she's dressed normally, fully clothed, if you will. Um, But the one day, it happens to rain, and she happens to want to go jump into the pool. She's, like, not wearing a bra. I will say that they're equal opportunity offenders when it comes to this. They, they get Freddie Prince Jr. naked at least three times. They get Matthew Lillard naked several times in a thought. Like they, they just make ev- all the young fit actors and actresses naked. Like, like it's it's really just an excuse to get like <laughs> all the cast yeah, members. My, like, Brittany Murphy, my... like, but, but it's, it, it's it's the men and the women. Like it's not just like Oh no, I didn't mean to to suggest that that was the only thing they did. But yeah, we've yeah, had a lot of male gazy. You yeah, know, but things. Jessica Biel but... is definitely the reason the seventeen-year-old guys are going to. Right. Yeah, I was but... thinking a lot about like who this movie was even supposed to have been targeted to, 
And it feels very much like a, oh, it's supposed to be a movie that you can take your girlfriend on a date to and you won't hate it, but she won't hate it. It's like a little bit of sports. It's a romantic comedy wrapped up with a lot of hot naked people. There's something for everyone. Yeah, sure. Some Prince butt, some Lillard butt. Yeah. 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 My main takeaway from this movie is Matthew Willard has a huge dick. Like it was the one scene in the kitchen with like Ryan and his dad. So you met Dee Dee Mulligan last night. Yeah, I like Dee Dee. Nice thong. Thanks. I think I newspapers dropped. I was like, and is it's that just like real? the biggest junk. I was like, yeah. that was some kind of batch, man. Now yeah. I need to know, can we get Matthew Willard on this podcast and ask him if, if that was real? Well, he's hit the big time with Shaggy, so we can try. <laughs> we, we should just tag him in, in the poll question. That, that this should be, when, <laughs> Matthew was, Willard was is your dick really good, that, that big. That is such a good idea. That is such a good idea. <laughs> My wife wants to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so... Uh, before we get too far down the road of all the particulars, uh, for those who have not seen this movie or who have not seen this movie in a while, uh, we owe it to them to recap the plot a little bit. So, Micah, in anywhere from a log line to a paragraph, let's not get too overwhelming with it, but can you give us a a short uh, recap of what happened in this movie? Mm-hmm. So our main character, Ryan, is a pitcher who grew up on Cape Cod, home of the Cape Cod Baseball League. Um, he, uh, is a bit of a troubled young man, as we learn a little more about throughout the movie. Um, he's gotten kicked off of two baseball teams. His kind of last ditch effort at playing baseball is playing in this league for the summer. It seems like at the beginning of the movie, his plans are to take that very seriously. He wasn't going to hang out with his friends. He wasn't going to drink. But then, of course, that ends up not actually being the case partly because he meets Jessica Biel's character, whose name I always want to say wrong. I think it was Tenley. Tenley. Yeah something super it doesn't matter like waspy is her last name timley they have a summer romance he ends up being successful in the league and getting drafted and she and her battle with her father as lots of young white waspy women do battling their father's will for their lives against their own seems to abandon her own kind of preset life next steps to be with ryan but we don't actually know that that's what kind of what the movie, movie makes it seem like at the end. Will, uh, give any gaps to fill there? There is a seemingly, and I say seemingly in quotes, class struggle going on where it's Fred Ward, who is the dad, and Prince Jr. versus the shithead parish family, where it's clear that uh, Jessica Beale doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And I have to, I have to ask if he's named Chris Hunt for a reason, the boyfriend of of Beal, the setup guy yeah but yeah it's, it's a clash of classes and yeah freddie prince jr is just trying to make it and then it's you know i mean it's not really a surprising movie you know yeah uh th- i thought the class divide was was maybe something they should have played up even a little more it was, i mean the, the wrong the, the boy from the wrong side of the tracks kind of thing is like you're the most classic trope in romantic comedy but the the, the idea that like the interplay between the fathers and fred ward's character being like, I don't need this business. Like, don't threaten my son. Like, you're not better than us. Just because you're rich doesn't mean that you have a, you know, a, uh, you have pride that we don't have. Like, that yeah, was. Yeah, I did appreciate that, when when Fred Ward finally comes into it, like, not drunk, you know, fully right. on board with what his kid's doing. He's like, you know what? Fuck off. 
the summary on the movie whenever I was pulling it up on Prime said like in this modern take on Romeo and Juliet and I was like oh my god do they both die do I really not remember anything about this movie um (laughs) nobody dies in the movie but right yeah I don't think this is a modern take on Romeo and Juliet no it's just the class (laughs) divide is I think we'll get we will we absolutely will I know I have a theory um, yes, we will get uh, down that road. Uh, a couple other little things, and because I, I, I want to get into to the baseball, because baseball is a big part of this movie and a big part of what isn't quite right about this movie. You you mentioned he get he got drafted. He didn't actually get drafted. He specifically got got signed by the by a, this scout uh, played by John C. McGinley. Which just scouts can't even just sign people. Uh, yeah, that's they, not a thing. They can. No, that's I, I, they they can. It's rare. I did a I covered uh, this thing called the Valley League out out in Virginia. And scouts would go and, and watch guys. Valley League is similar to the Cape Cod League, which is uh, just clarify for people who don't know. This is a summer college wood bat baseball league. This is where collegiate players after their season ends go and play in a bit like showcase leagues to boost their draft stock to eventually get drafted and signed. But it is possible for somebody who's playing in, in one of these scenarios to get offered a contract if they are not draft eligible. And this is where the, where the competing thing doesn't work because Ryan having been kicked out of two schools would theoretically be draft eligible probably at this point, or, or maybe pass his draft eligibility, probably be able to just be signed, but then he wouldn't have been able to play in the Cape Cod league in the first place because the Cape Cod league is specifically for people who are in college and who are like attending and are going to keep attending college and don't take my word for it. Take it straight from capecodbaseball.org. To be invited to the CCBL invitation-only tryout, players must be recommended by their college coaches. They must be a full-time college student registered for the upcoming fall semester, and they cannot have signed a prior commitment with another summer league, yada, yada, yada. But the point is, the entire conceit makes no sense. He, just because he lives on Cape Cod he, like, and is of college age doesn't mean that he gets to play there. And like, it, it, just, it was a needless self-own, which we've seen in other Mike Tolan sports movies where you just like make a terrible decision and, and there's no reason for it. They even could have, because they set it up to where he started at Boston College and then went to Framingham State because he got kicked out of D.C. They could have even had it where he was just like at some like random junior college not getting noticed. And this was his last chance to get noticed on a stage. But instead, they had him get kicked out of two separate programs, which, right, not only would he not meet the you're not a registered college student eligibility, but also nobody would be recommending him for that league anyway. It would, it would actually make like so much more sense if he was at some community college. We could have just still been at Framingham State, like, like right. or, or whatever. But even, like, even yeah, if he's like, even, I'm not getting noticed the same way I would have at BC. This is my last chance to make get in front of scouts. Scouts aren't coming to Framingham State games, I'm assuming. Yeah. I, Although the the use of the word state there kind of implies that it's not a junior college, even though they say it's a junior college, which is another thing that was weird to me. Yeah, it is a four year college. They but they in real life. <laughs> How do you think they were? <laughs> well, listen. Let's just get into the to the plot holes. But they used the, the right thing. Like they used the their hat. Yeah, yeah. But we're we're already down I feel this like road. Someone got fired for that. Uh, well, I hope somebody got fired for the closing credits, uh, which were evidently cleaned up on on the DVD, the home video version. But that is one of the most egregious things. Let's. Let, let's get let's get into all of, of, of the plot holes. Micah, why don't you start with, with your list and then we'll we'll fill in the gaps. 
So the very first thing I noticed in the first like two minutes of the movie is that he starts out not having a Boston accent. And then suddenly this Boston accent comes out of nowhere. I'm the guy putting it on the line every time I take the mound. This is my last shot to make it. I'm dressed for practice tomorrow, man. I'm staying, no, I'm dressed for practice. I'm staying here tonight. And then it goes away. And then sometimes it comes back when he's talking to his brother, which like I can kind of relate to because whenever I go home to Texas, I know my accent comes out a little bit more. Sometimes it's about who you're around, but it's not, I don't think they were thinking that deeply. I think Freddie Prince Jr. was just having a hard time keeping it up. And at some point they were just like, suck it and pretended to not worry about it anymore. I mean, they just um, basically they just forgot to tell him when he did the voiceover that he was in character. Like yeah. he did the voiceover in just but then like Freddie Prince the rest Jr. Of the movie, like every single like there yeah, were a couple it was, scenes he did. Yeah, there it was, was intermittent. One, yeah, there was one where he was like the accent was very strong, and then there were a couple where it was mildly there, and then there were some where, for the most part, he just sounded like he could have been from anywhere. Like um, like his performances on the mound, highly inconsistent. <laughs> uh, the other big thing is the. Scout played by Dr. Cox from Scrubs. Why was he dressed like he's in the 20s? Why is he talking with like this weird old timey southern accent? Like, this is supposed to be a movie set in 2000, 2001. Why is he dressed like that? Why is he acting like that? Nobody else is acting or dressed like that. I'm so confused why that was even the setup for that character. Well, we've talked about this with with characters in, in other movies, but we, we need to come up with a term for this for the podcast, which is which is the actor who is acting in a different movie than everybody else, which is absolutely what was happening. He thought he was acting in like Pride of the Yankees or like some like <laughs> like period piece baseball movie. And everyone else was just like on Cape Cod listening to Limp Biscuit that summer. Like it would they were just in completely different like, you know, eras of the world. You're going to have to do better than that, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was so bizarre. It was it, yeah. it was extremely weird. I don't know. I mean, I started thinking about like eight men out, some kind of term along along those lines, but I really don't know because he'd be like the one man out. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we just we just need it for like the podcast in general, like to identify who the who the interloper is, who is who is this man who's stumbled from the wrong set, you know, <laughs> into this film and he's supposed to be on the other side of the Warner Brothers lot or whatever, you know. Um, but anyway, I, Micah, did you have anything else? Uh, um, I have one more, which I'm sure was on your list, too, because we talked about this last night at the last game. And he does really well. He pitches his another thing we can get into about the baseball. For some reason, they're all pitching fucking complete games, even though they have the best closer in America on their bench, whatever. Um, whenever he is pitching his no no that he gives up on, um, his friends have like the K's out in the outfield that they're putting up. And the second one they put up is upside down for like strikeout swinging or stand watching, whatever. You know what I mean? Looking. Looking um, backwards for looking. I yes. got there. Yeah. I got there. Backwards, <laughs> backwards for looking. But every single strikeout they showed was swinging. Like every single one. Yeah. Multiple times they showed him getting a swinging strikeout and his friends holding up a backwards K on the fence, which, it, right, it's, it's, it's like someone watched a baseball game once where they did that and was just like, oh, sometimes they put them up backwards. Like, no, that literally <laughs> means it's Whatever's a looking strikeout. Yeah. Right. There's a, a and it means something. Yeah. The, <laughs> I always think back to to uh, episode eight, uh, Cage of the Oliphant. We did Gone in sixty seconds with 
uh, Justin Clue, and he talks, we were talking about all of the sort of mistakes uh, for like a, for a movie that was about cars that was clearly intended for car people. Same way. This is like clearly intended for baseball people. And he said it, it was, you know, it's a car movie, but not made for car porn enthusiasts. And like, this is like a baseball movie, not made for people who actually know baseball. Cause I, the more, you know, the more that the, that stuff sticks out, like the manager talking about a no hitter, like in the dugout, he wouldn't be talking about it. He wouldn't wake the closer up to tell him that, that the guy had a no right. hitter yeah. going. Hey, I know I haven't asked you to do a goddamn thing all season because we've had every one of our guys pitching nine innings, but uh, wake up so you can watch this. Or... Right. Well, I, let me let me give you a chance to jump in because I, I have my huge laundry list that, that I'll get to. I, I sort of figured we were going to get here. Yeah. So shoot, what else you got? Uh, Again, I want to emphasize or re-emphasize rather uh, Micah's points about the accents. Not even Fred Ward, who is a veteran actor of not just really good movies like Tremors, which we've already done on the podcast, but like episode 20, Redneck Dune. (laughs) (laughs) But crazy stuff from the 60s and 70s. Not even could he keep his accent straight. So I don't know what the heck was happening there. And, you know, the other big thing was that's not Cape Cod. Yeah. North Carolina, right? Yeah. I think it was, I think it was North or South Carolina. There were a couple of overhead shots that I know they actually shot of like the ballpark, the real ballpark, but they, this was filmed in a, an old ballpark that they renovated just for this. It was like, hadn't been used in 20 years. It was in, in the Carolinas. I I Um, did appreciate that they changed the signs for like where you're supposed to go to get to like Provincetown and stuff. But clearly not Cape Cod. Yeah. I had a couple of non-baseball things. Like when he first is like leering at Jessica Biel, didn't he like destroy their garden? He just runs over like all of the, like the flowers and everything. And like, yeah. like you, yeah, you do such was, a, that was the early you do such a great job. And I'm like, didn't he literally I'm, I'm just so like horny. take out a whole, <laughs> feels like that might've come back up. They just kind of well, overlooked that. On that note, um, one more thing that I thought about was he said he had been working in their yard for like six years or something. Yep. yep. And this is the we're supposed to believe that this is the first time they ever saw each other. Like he says that he's seen her, but like that she's been ignoring him. I mean, that's that's what we're supposed to believe. Which, you know, sure. Unlikely uh, best. Yeah. Right. Well, speaking of unlikely, just generally that two people this attractive are this bad at flirting. Like, I'm sorry. Like the the most awkward like you, you have you never had anybody hit on you you're like one of the hundred most attractive people on the planet like like you're in your 20s they're acting like they're you know in middle school like the, all the dialogue of that just positioning them as as being completely hapless yeah, was beautiful. like oh really she likes me yeah man she likes you you're running around with a shirt off and you know you're like six pack like yeah are you that shocked like anyway but the the, the baseball stuff is the stuff that really that really kills me uh his his motion's okay there's like clearly no power behind it he's clearly not like a good pitcher but like that stuff's fine but my god man they show a phillies lineup when he makes it to the big leagues spoiler at the end of the movie uh they show like the lineup that day ken Griffey jr hits a run off of him and then they show the scoreboard for the closing credits and they have him pitching and then they have like the whole base. It's like the 2001, 2002 Phillies, which one, if you just got signed in, into the New York Penn League, the fifth rung down at the time of minor league baseball, you're telling me that this guy made it from 
getting signed at the very end of the 2001 season all the way to the big leagues by the end of the 2002 season at the latest, which is not at all realistic. Two, Bobby Abreu is one of the one of the hitters listed. Uh, I, I except it's going to go on for a while. They have Audience. misspelled Bobby Abreu's name. <laughs> no, Bobby, Bobby Abreu, I didn't see that. Bobby Abreu was like a borderline Hall of Famer. They misspelled oh his last God. name on in the scoreboard. There's an extra A that has no business being there. That if you know anything about Bobby Abreu, like you, How you would they just spell his name. Uh, it was A B R E A. There's an extra A in there floating for no reason. And they um, left it up for so long. Like that yeah. graphic was up. Right. For it's the whole longer. closing credits. Yeah. Oh, it's just brutal. I saw it instantly. I was like, there's no way. And then I was like, oh my God, that's absolutely who they meant to put up there. Really, really rough. And like I said, I, I read that they fixed that for the for the DVD release, which okay, but not for the streaming release, evidently. because uh, it was in what we saw for sure. Wait, one, I, have, I have one more, one more yeah. total screw up. Uh, that I actually totally forgot about until you mentioned Abreu, which is that on the HBO Max version that I watched, and I don't know what version that is, but all of the subtitles are for like the cable release. So instead of shit, it's dirt. <laughs> for example. Classic. Finding Strangers in the Alps. Every episode. <laughs> All right, I, well, let's roll that right into this was a, a 2001 film. Uh, it is extremely in our precious pre-9-11 window where the, the biggest problem that, that a young woman has is deciding if she should take her nepotistic uh, job that she's being given or go back to school on, I assume, her parents' uh, very uh, wealthy dime to go pursue architecture. Um, what else places this film extremely in 2001 micah what what did you take out of this so we can start like a little shallow here the shoes that jessica beale was wearing throughout just gave me like ptsd flashbacks like the really chunky platformy like steve madden wedge which i think is kind of coming back it is a trend i will not be participating in but yeah lots of chunky shoes and weird tops i think on a more serious note the treatment of and conversation about a woman's weight is not only one of the more bro-y aspects of the movie, I think, but also very early 2000. fat? Oh, dude, this girl had strings hanging off from the last time they steered her down the street in a parade. <laughs> I think we're talking about this a little bit now with all the Britney Spears stuff, but the way we talked about female celebrities and their weight in the early 2000s was absolutely horrific. Like, I don't know if y'all remember whenever Jessica Simpson gained a little bit of weight after she was very underweight in the Dukes of Hazard, And like, it was every other tabloid magazine cover cover was like, Jessica Simpson's fat now. And she yeah, was totally I, I work for the New York Post. I, I, I hate to admit. But, so you're aware. Uh, yeah, I'm painfully aware. <laughs> I was like, actually kind of hoping like throughout the course of them making all these fat jokes throughout the movie that they wouldn't actually show the woman that they were making fun of. And then of course they did. And I was like, she's, totally normal size like she's not like morbidly obese in any way 
Um, she's just a really normal size. And I felt so sad thinking about all of the girls who are probably going to watch this movie and they hear all these guys be like, she's so fat, she's so fat, she's so fat. And then you see her and you're like, oh, well, she just looks like me. Is this how boys at my school are talking about me? And is this what people think about me? I think it's very, not that that stuff still doesn't happen now, but I don't think it would be in a movie quite in that same way now. I think that conversation to me is what dated it the most. I feel like Shallow Howl was like our, our cultural cutoff point of that, yeah. where things started to change. <laughs> like, like I don't remember what movie? year that was. It was after, for sure. There, there were a couple other, I mean, we, we talk about this all the time with movies in, in this late 90s, early early aughts era, but there seems to be, and even even earlier, there seems to be either a, a gay joke and or an, an Asian joke in pretty much all of them. This one had, uh, it was a little more subtle, but we we had we daring toward gay joke yeah yeah we we did have we did have a couple of of kind of gay jokes uh that are our sort of nemesis pitcher um making fun of him with the thong uh sort of limp wrists a little bit and and kind of flaunts around in a way that is very very clear what what he's what he's doing uh the discussion of butts why are you looking at me like that mm-hmm. i play center field i look at infielders from behind Pitchers too. Ryan, Ryan has got a great ass. Van Lemer's got a big butt. Big can on that guy. Yeah. There's nothing sexual about what I'm saying, all right? Okay. Well, from the guy who, like, sleeping with that woman as he got up on a table and announced to an entire restaurant, which, like, they tried to redeem it a little bit, I think, at the end, where it was, like, kind of took this body positive spin of, like, him getting up on a table and like announcing to everyone that he just really loves fat women and fat women deserve love too. I like fat women and they like me. Anybody got a problem with that? But like, it really just turned it into more of a like weird fetish thing. But that same character was the one who there was that total weird aside in the bar about how he looks at everyone's butts and like thinks about who has a nice butt, which like whatever. But it was the way that that conversation was treated was seen as like, oh, he's yeah, weird. And, and see, it was and like... You see Matthew Lillard sort of scooting away. Yeah. Right, with a very clear implication. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you know, we, we've talked about this in other, in other films. Uh, I can't remember specifically, but the, the idea... You use the character as a way to make a joke... Even and then and then you like you you downplay it and you say he's wrong or whatever so you can feel virtuous about about having like what what you really think but you still had your character you still wrote that joke for that character and so and we see that with the Special Olympics joke with his friend right talking about cutting his arm off to, to be in the Special Olympics then the other friends like oh no you know, go think about what you said and it's like well that's what you said this is your movie <laughs> like you, it doesn't matter which character said it like this wasn't a clearly a bad guy you know this was like one of his his dopey buddies but like like the, there's you know so like right the fat jokes the maybe gay jokes the 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 special olympics like all of that stuff just feels really of that era even even though they try to sort of soft pedal it like oh this isn't what this movie believes it's like well it these still are lines in this movie and I don't the, know, but, um the host mom line too or or like storyline too which was totally unnecessary like you didn't have to have this completely other random little storyline about Wilmer Valderrama's character who had clearly never had sex before being seduced and he's clearly made very uncomfortable by it um throughout the whole movie by his host mom who's just like running through like the rest of his team and then you know, they're all so proud of him whenever he goes into her room at the end of the movie. And it's just, 
yeah, that was another thing where I was like, this is such an unnecessary part. Like it wasn't a big part of the story at all. It was just there for some additional laughs, but like, it's really not funny. Like it's just kind of sad and he clearly felt uncomfortable and unsafe and that's not funny. It shouldn't be funny. Well, the weirdest one to me was when the uh, teammate ran in and like grabs Wilder, Wilder, how do you pronounce his name? I'm sorry. Wilmer. Valderrama. Valderrama. Grabs him in the morning and he's like, dude, she was awesome. And then like Builder is like just like terrified. And I'll say this again. This feels like baby's first Bull Durham where it's like not good enough or smart enough, but it apes a lot of stuff where it's like, eh, I don't like this too much. But, but even yeah. like the the character that she was supposed to maybe kind of replicate from Bull Durham she is sleeping with the most adult man on that team. I mean, I guess at the beginning of the movie, she's not, but he's still an adult. Like, well, yeah, these are all technically of, adults was, too, but that's, that's part of what I was getting into, which is that like, suddenly this little kid is brought into her bedroom finally. And she, I don't want to know. I don't want to know a, what a happened. Cucumber the cucumber. Goes oh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know either. I'm just, eh. yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. Um, to, to Will's point, I, I'll, I'll take a quick aside from from all of the just of the era references. But this this ripped off Bulldorm really, really hard in a few a few ways. And and to your point, not as successfully as it was done originally. Because Annie was was this whole character and this whole idea of a baseball Annie was was this archetype that it was based off. And like that that was really well developed. She was actually this very smart character. Turns out that she was very knowledgeable about baseball. The whole idea that she could actually help the players because she knew about baseball, not just about like sex. Like all that was stripped away. The fact that we don't see that it's Beverly D'Angelo until it, like the last thing, like, is clearly meant to be this big reveal that it's Beverly D'Angelo. That that's the big like sell point. Anyway, obviously that whole thing is just like a a failed ripoff of of Annie Savoy. We also there are monologues. The brother monologue is basically ripped straight out of Bull Durham, where where Kevin Costner says you've got a million dollar arm and a ten and a five cent head. Like it, like it's almost identical. It's just like not as colorful language. The fact that by Brian Dennehy says he had a, a cup of coffee or a half a cup of coffee in, in the big leagues and is telling him about how to like is straight out of the bus scene where Kevin Costner is strumming the guitar. And he's like, yeah, they're like, Oh, have you been to the show? He's like, yeah, but yeah, I was there for 21 days and gives us much more detailed, much more colorful like version of the same story. And even when he wants to throw his fastball and he's talking to the, his catcher about like, you know, it's, it's like, it goes back to Tim Robbins and announcing my presence with authority. Like there were, there were four or five scenes that were basically just like watered down low fat milk versions of, of Bull Durham scenes, which of course came out in 1986, 15 years earlier. And like I said, it was almost like they're hoping that you just didn't see that movie so that you don't know that, they, that someone else did it better earlier. Yeah, it really struck me as the PG-13 version of Bull Durham meets American Pie. And that's what I was trying to get to with the with the MILF stuff. Yeah. Well, right. Really gross and uh, upsetting these days. But in the early in 2001, I'm sure they thought it was a laugh riot. And, and, and not, American effectively... Pie was what, 98, 99? I mean, yeah, that, that, so that was right. It's right there. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I had that written down that like that. And of course, as we all know and remember fondly, Cisco's thong song dropped in 1999. And the fact that the thong played that much of a role in this film, I do not think is any coincidence. Like 
absolutely. American Pie 9899, Thong Song 99. This was probably written in 1999. It came out in the summer of 01. Like they were, there was just like, oh, this is in the culture. We'll we'll make a whole thing out of this. And like, yeah, watching it now, you're like, yeah, great, wonderful. I hope that worked out for you the summer of 01. But yeah, I mean, that that just it just felt extremely of that moment, like a really that that, you know, three to five year gap in in American culture. Yeah, it just comes off really gross these days. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything else from that time or era? Well, the scouts are all using ancient laptops. <laughs> yeah. Old radar guns. Also, the fact that 91 was supposed to be fast and then they were like super wowed at 95, 96. Everybody is throwing mid 90s. You got it like, wrong. It's yeah. 96. Yeah, but like 90s, like that would be 102 now. Like, like to just 20 years later, like he'd be like, did he just hit triple digits in the ninth inning? And he'd be like, no, he hit 102. Like it, they, just that gap, just in the way that, that velocity has spiked over the last 20 years. Um, I guess the other obvious glaring of the era thing is he just fucking zooms onto the airport tarmac to chase her in his car, in his janky truck, obviously you would not be able to do that um, even a few months after this movie came out. Yeah, that That's really goes a back. a great point. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, it really goes back to big trouble. I mean, very very similar sort of final, just run to the airport. We'll just run to the airport. Like, no big deal. All right, so let's talk about the characters in this movie. Um, going back 20 years later, was there one that maybe stood out to you as that you remembered more fondly this time around? Maybe one that didn't hold up quite as well for you? So I think the one thing that I I don't really remember having, again, like I said, I don't remember too much about when I watched this movie the first time anyway, but I felt a very like intense sadness with Brittany Murphy's character that I'm sure I didn't feel at the time when I was watching this when I was like 20 years old I'm sure I was probably just like oh look at her she you know she's sleeping with two baseball players and she seems to be doing fine and like you know I'm sure at the time I probably viewed her character as more like cool and chill um than I did now which was just feeling very very sad that she is just kind of getting (laughs) passed around and Nobody really seems to care about her. Like she's, you know, they show a few scenes where it's like the kind of group of four. It's like the two guys and their girlfriends. And then she's always just kind of like the spare one, either sleeping with Ryan's character or she ends up sleeping with, um, what's his name? Bobby, Billy, the catcher. Yeah. Billy. Um, and then, and then he, he makes that comment whenever. So it's, he was supposed to leave because he had what we saw to be two bad games. God knows how many it was actually supposed to be. Um, Because they don't show anywhere near every single game that they would have played that summer. They show like five games, the whole movie. Um, But Billy's character decides he's going to go back to California. He's not doing well. He didn't, he doesn't want the scouts to see this. Um, I'm assuming this is not said, but it feels very much like Ryan crafted this plan to have Brittany Murphy's character kind of like intercept him and keep him from leaving, which is exactly what happens. Like he sends his friends to take him to the airport he knows that she's going to be there. Who knows if it's intentional, but the next morning, whenever Billy shows up in Ryan's kitchen in the song, he's like, oh, I see you met 
I honestly part of, talk about being sad for her. I don't uh, even remember yeah. her name. They say her name like one, maybe two times. And it's just talked about as like, oh, everybody knows her, right? You know, not to pull it back to Bull Durham again, but you, you, there's a parallel to Millie. I mean, like she, she's basically Millie in, in Bull Durham. Yeah. Like, like she's that's almost but a direct without analog. Her Annie to like kind of right. shepherd her along. Right again, just... oh, <laughs> a a much less, a much more thinly and less colorfully drawn Bull Durham <laughs> character. It's like most of these characters. I I cannot talk about a Brittany Murphy character without getting into I think probably part of the reason I felt so sad watching this character she was playing is because Brittany Murphy herself has had a very had a very sad and tragic life and I feel like that came across a little bit in like her portrayal of this character so if you will allow me five minutes to go into my favorite diversion the very uncomfortable circumstances of Brittany Murphy's death so in 2009, Brittany Murphy died. She died in December 2009. And I don't know how much I remember about like kind of the general discussion of Brittany Murphy at the time. But again, like with a lot of early to mid 2000s young female celebrities, everyone was always talking about how thin they were, like what drugs they must be doing. And she very much did not escape that conversation. Um, and I don't remember all of the details about her personal life. But at the time of her death, she was married to this kind of nobody movie producer who's like really creepy and gross. I think his name is Simon something. She died in December of 2009 in what was later determined to be pneumonia. And then not even six months later, her husband died of the exact same thing in the exact same room in the house that the three of them lived in um, along with her mother. So of the three people living in that house, her mother is the only one that survived. The other two died of the exact same type of pneumonia. Now, Simon already had some respiratory issues. He had sleep apnea. Brittany had gotten some sort of staph infection or something. I think they all did on a trip to Puerto Rico earlier in 2009. But it sounds like the three of them were living in this house. Brittany was taking care of both of them. Um, I think her mother was like a breast cancer survivor. But it sounds like she just got really depressed and stopped doing things and was just like hanging out kind of like trapped in her bathroom. It's like the one place in her house she felt safe. Um, and then something happened. We don't know. She got pneumonia. Um, it sounds like she was really, 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 really sick in her last kind of moments at home where she died at home. She didn't die in a hospital. She died at home. And her official autopsy report says pneumonia, but also there is something in there about a drug overdose, but they believe it was accidental. They believe it was accidental it seems like she was treating, like self-treating her respiratory issues at home. So it was like cold medicine and pain medicine and like a whole combination of all of this stuff. But then her husband died of the same thing two months later. And people were speculating about it being toxic mold. And her mom got really upset and was like, it is not toxic mold. The LA County Health Department has not asked for anything like to uh, come search our house for mold or anything. And then I think like a year later, she completely changed her tune and tried to sue the builder of the house for like knowing that there was toxic mold in it or something. And then Brittany's like estranged dad got involved and tried to sue the mom. It's all just very sad. I think the number of lawsuits points to the fact that they, both of her parents at least saw her as like their source of, or a source of income for them. And then she was gone and they no longer had that and were fighting over it. 
There's also a foundation before Simon died. Brittany's mom and her ex-husband or her husband formed the Brittany Murphy Foundation, but they never registered the nonprofit paperwork. So they were getting all of these donations and then someone reported them for not having the paperwork. And they were like, oh gosh, we were just so heartbroken and in a hurry that we didn't file the paperwork. We'll give all the money back. So they gave all the money back, but bullshit. They did that on purpose and were just hoping that nobody noticed. And then one month after this happened, Simon was dead. All right, so spit it out. Brittany Murphy's mom killed Brittany Murphy and her husband. See, we all have to believe in a conspiracy theory. Sharon Murphy is just running around Los Angeles with her dead daughter's money. This is uh, an opinion. It is not the official stance of (laughs) I think I like this movie. But I I really thoroughly enjoyed that. I'm glad that I was muted. I was laughing a lot. Highly sus. And um, I did see it uh, when I was doing some research to kind of remind myself of all of this earlier today. HBO Max is um, working on a documentary about this. So keep your eyes, eyes peeled, everybody, for more Brittany Murphy content. Will, do you have a conspiracy theory that you believe? No, I actually don't. I don't. Oh, you got you to gotta have one, man. Like the, the Pentagon covering up UFOs? Uh, Stevie ain't blind. That's mine. <laughs> okay. All right. If, if we're going to go full bore, I do believe that we've made contact with aliens. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> Is that even a conspiracy at this like, point? Like, like we've, everything we've, we've, we've totally seen that shit. Yeah. yeah. My favorite thing about that thought that we've made contact with aliens is that they seem to want to have nothing to do with us and i like to believe who could blame them really yeah i think they i think they like they met us and they were just like fuck you dude and then (laughs) but also they resurrected elvis that's my thing Mm, okay i think the king is still alive so just to be clear you went from no i don't have any conspiracy theories to they resurrected elvis to to the The pentagon is hiding ufos right when pressed i had to come up with that got it okay all right, well, we might as well jump, just jump from that into uh, something completely nonsensical, which uh, is Gaucho Watch, uh, our, our weekly search for a connection to my alma mater, the University of California, Santa Barbara. But this week, we're going to take a little bit of a spin on Gaucho Watch. We're going to go Spartan Watch instead, because the Cape Cod League, uh, while it has had many players from, from all over, uh, I couldn't find a good UCSB player, but I did find... A De La Salle high school player, a guy I knew in high school who graduated one year ahead of me, John Baker, who was the 2000 Manny Robello 10th Player of the Year Award winner, not Billy Brubaker. Uh, he was a catcher, though, went, uh, went on to uh, enjoy a solid major league career uh, as basically a number two catcher for a number of teams before retiring uh, and being hired by the Chicago Cubs front office in 2015, thereby fulfilling uh, a watch to the other part of my secondary education. Let's talk about the soundtrack. I I noticed it at times. It felt contemporary a little bit of the times. Like there were some songs. There was the the like classic sports montage stuff. But like, did anything really stand out to you guys? I was so excited going into watching this movie about the soundtrack because I have been listening to a lot of like 2000s pop punk recently just like in my day-to-day life. And I was like, oh, I bet this soundtrack's going to be awesome. And it really wasn't. I don't think I recognized a single song. I watched the credits all the way through until I got to the music part. And I was like, oh, there was a Dandy Warhol song. There was a, um, I don't even remember 
I'm blanking on the name of the band, but there was, was one. Some, there's some literally, 41 song. Some 41. I, I was like, yeah, there's a some 41 song, but I didn't recognize either one. And then all of the other, you know, bands that they had songs from, I didn't recognize at all. I was kind of bummed about that. Well, uh, 2000, 2001, I think I was graduating class in high school in 2001. So, uh, by that point I was really deep into death metal. I had no idea who any of these bands or songs were. And I mean, they, these weren't like the popular ones for sure. Like it, no. it didn't, it didn't sound bad on rewatch for sure. Um, but no, nothing, nothing really grabbed me. I was just going to say the other 2001 movie I rewatched recently it's Legally Blonde, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, so I will not be bringing it to this particular podcast. But the soundtrack from Legally Blonde was actually really good, and there was a lot of there were songs that were popular at the time. There were songs that became popular because of the movie, and there weren't even like those types of songs. Like, just there was nothing memorable. It wasn't that the movie had stuff that was unknown at the time and then got popular. It's just it was all really unmemorable. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it just kind of did its job. All right, so it's been 20 years since this film's come out. Uh, baseball has changed. The world has changed uh, in many ways. What, what do we think has happened to, uh, to, this, to this particular world, uh, to these characters in these 20 years leading up to present day, Micah? Let's see. So 20 years ago, I guess that means they would be in their early 40s now. Okay, so just to back up a little bit before we fully answer that question, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier. But one of the strange kind of like premises of this movie was to me was that Jessica Biel's character, Tim Lee, is acting as if her only two choices, her only two paths in life right now as a young, wealthy, attractive, seemingly very well-educated woman are, are taking this job that her dad set up for her at her uncle's investment firm in San Francisco or going back to grad school for architecture. A thing she mentions a couple of times, but she doesn't actually... Like, you don't see her passion for architecture come out in any other way. Like, she just said it. I don't even think she said it. I think, like, the first time we hear anything about architecture was Ryan being like, oh, because you want to go back to school for architecture, right? Like, I think he even introduces that idea. Like, maybe a scene got cut or something. Um, But it's crazy that those seem to be her only two paths in life. And she's, like, really torn between the two. But if I were guessing... Um, she left with Ryan. He made the big week, so she stuck around. His family came around because now he's a he's a major league baseball player, and they're cool with him now. Now he's rich; he can take care of their little Timley. Um, but I would guess that their relationship probably didn't last, and she probably ended up on a second marriage to someone much more like her shitty boyfriend we saw for two minutes, Chris or whatever his name even was. I don't know living a life much more palatable to her parents um and i think ryan probably bummed around the the minors in the big leagues for as long as he possibly could and then moved back to cape cod to take over his dad's landscaping business whenever his father passed or maybe his brother gets sick or something and he moves back but like he definitely moves back ryan has big move back energy to me despite there's so uh, many conspiracy, possible conspiracy theories. <laughs> but I think the thing I'm most excited about is talking about Katie. Katie is like the one character in the movie, the little girl, Penley's sister, who um, is like super into baseball and she's super excited about being the mascot. And like nobody's appreciating all the work she's doing as a mascot, but she doesn't give up. And she finally finds one that people like. And that's Dix. 
Um, but I guess she was probably supposed to be like, I don't know, I'm bad with kids' ages, maybe like 12, 10, 12 in that movie. Yeah, I'd say it's 10. Yeah. So what, she's like 30 now. I like to think that Katie is working like in the front office for the Red Sox. That is the life I want for Katie. Yeah, I, I could certainly see it. What, Will, do you have any, any takes on any of these characters? Um, I think that Ryan threw out of his elbow probably two to three years into his major league. Uh, Maybe he punched a locker or something. Probably, <laughs> probably punched a locker. But, you know, Tenley is such a smart, good woman that uh, she picked right up, got a, a contract with an architectural firm, kept the family afloat. They got a few kids. And the big star, I think, as Micah just said, I, I really want to hope that uh, the actress's name is Zena Gray, who played the daughter. I think she's going to go on to have a great comedic career. Yeah, you could see it. Yeah. A, a born entertainer. Born entertainer. Yeah, she goes up there. She's, uh, she's doing her thing. Everybody loves her. And that's where I hope those characters go. The rest of them, I don't know. I do not give a shit about. Yeah. I, something, yeah. Else you, something else you just said made me have another thought about kind of my like general consensus about this movie was like things were constantly happening, but nothing actually happened. Like there was this big arc of things that happened, but like I, we know so little about almost all of the characters outside of ryan who we only know a little bit about because of like a couple of monologue scenes but like tenley you know makes the decision to kind of stand up to her father a little bit seemingly kind of like at least rethink like what she wants to do with her life and then but she's gonna go to san francisco until ryan comes to get her but like throughout this kind of stand she's trying to make she's not saying something like you know standing up to her father because she should be able to marry whoever she wants, regardless of like social class or how much money they make or where they come from. Like she's not making those social stances. She's just like, I love you because we're both really hot and we've made out a lot this summer. Like it's not, she's not saying I want to be with Ryan because she's just saying I want to be with Ryan, which is why I don't think they ultimately end up together. I think oh. she's a bit of a. Oh yeah. You're, no, you, both of you are more optimistic than I am. I think after two weeks in Batavia, she is on a plane to San Francisco. There's no way she's following him around <laughs> the New York Penn League. But, actually... but back, back to your original point, he probably wasn't in Batavia that long. She didn't have to stick around that long. It wow. was less than a year. Yeah. Now I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's uh, married to a, uh, a, a tech bro, a Stanford graduate living somewhere in Palo Alto uh, in uh, some uh, hideous uh, McMansion. Um, that, that seems like, like the, the more likely path. Their relationship is based on nothing. Like they, there was nothing there. Like they, they, they're just like, wow, you're really hot. Like, how did I not notice you before? <laughs> I, I would, I, I do, I do think better of, of the younger sister. I, I could absolutely see her ending up in, in pro sports. This is what I had for, for Ryan. Uh, Ryan Dunn enjoyed a mostly forgettable three-year major league career as a middle, middling lefty reliever, finishing three and seven with a 5.61 ERA and just under 100 innings with the Phillies, Marlins, and Pirates. He treads off his former glory as a bartender with his brother and a coach for the Anglers. Sounds right. Yeah. yeah that is so perfect. Like maybe high school. So I thought maybe, maybe the high school team, but it just made more sense if he gets to go back to the field where he threw almost a no-hitter and is you probably coach, still remembered for that. Yeah, right. Like, but I, but I just figure he'll he just coach for for the for the anglers. Why not? The anglers, by the way, they are called the anglers now. Uh, they are still the like A's 
Uh, but Major League Baseball <laughs> in 2008 decided to enforce their trademarks on the Cape Cod League. And anyone who shared a name with a big league team, they were going to make them buy their officially licensed stuff. So they just changed their name from the athletics to the anglers. So uh, are the YD Red Sox still the YD Red Sox? They just I, shelled out? I don't know. I don't know. I think they are. Have we talked about the fact that every every single thirty seconds there's a pep talk for for Ryan? Yeah, well, just that every every one of those pep talks is ripped out of Bull Durham. Like like they're all they're all just the pieces that were part of the actual character and plot development in Bull Durham. But they're just like, oh, Ryan 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 needs another pep talk. He's gonna go out. Gonna go ask his coach. He's he's gonna go ask his dad. He's gonna go ask his brother. Is how many other male role models can you have? The only one you're doing. The only good pep talk he got, most of them were just like, he, they didn't say anything. What is he supposed to take away from this conversation? But the, the one, his friend, his like last pep talk um, was actually really sweet and touching. And it did make me tear up a little bit. It was very nice. But yeah, the, the rest of them, including Penley's pep talk, were just empty platitudes. Believe in yourself. Okay. Every fucking poster I've seen on every classroom wall since kindergarten has said that. Like, what new information is this offering? It's like it's like the kitten motivational poster. <laughs> that's that's what Henley is. She's she's a kitten motivational poster, like come to life. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It wasn't until I, I I was texting with Noah earlier that like I started actually keeping track, and there's literally a pep talk every other scene in the movie. It's yeah. insane. Our boy needs a lot of support. Yeah. Right, which is why I don't think he had a, a fruitful major league career. I, I yeah. agree. One hundred. <laughs> um, before we get into any other extras, uh, could this movie get made today, Micah? So I'll say again what I said earlier, which is I was expecting this to be so much worse on the rewatch than it was. Not to say that there aren't gross parts that I don't think would get made again but i think overall like the arc of the movie like absolutely sure i think they would change some of the comedy um but i think like the type of movie absolutely could and like to be quite honest we're in a bit of a dearth of romantic comedies and it's a good romantic comedy so if they want to remake summer catch i'm here for it also i saw there was supposed to be like a cape cod summer uh baseball league reality tv show this year i think it probably ended up getting pushed i don't know what the league ended up doing or not doing this summer um they didn't play last year i know so yeah i'm sure i'm sure they probably played this year but it's probably not um lending itself towards whatever a reality tv show about a bunch of college kids hanging out for a summer would be if we're still trying to say we're social distancing and being responsible um but I think that was, I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere that that was going to work. So maybe in the next couple of years, we'll have some Cape Cod baseball reality TV to watch. Will, do you think, uh, think this movie gets made today? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, it could. Uh, but I feel that way about, you know, Sandlot. Sandlot could, could get remade, especially if you sort of rejiggered some of the things. You could do the same thing with, uh, what the hell is it? Angels in the Outfield. There's a lot of a lot of baseball that you can remake as long as it's restructured in the right way. So yeah, it, 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 I think it get, could get remade. You know, uh, summertime love and uh, you know a heartwarming story about uh, as you said the kid from the wrong side of the tracks and uh, he's mowing lawns but he's a great pitcher or 
maybe you change it up. Maybe he's a great hitter. I mean, I, I think it'd be interesting, even if he wasn't like the local kid, I think it'd be interesting to have all these college kids who are broke and they're in this, you know, like vacation town and like really get into the fact that like, like there was a thing with Brian Denny where he was like threatening, like fining. He burns the $20 bill. 20, I, I actually wrote that down. Why did you burn a 20? You, I, I assume that was fine money, but you can't find college kids. Like they don't have any, like, anyway. It, also, this is, I don't imagine that the Cape Cod coach is making that much money himself. No, but, but so it's I, not like it was just his 20 that he was like super cash about. Right. But like leaning into that, I think would be really interesting of like, of like these kids are like broke and, you know, like they're here for this showcase to to try to like strike it rich, but like they don't have like a lot of money. Most of them, most of them are not necessarily from like rich families. Like they're playing college ball. So like maybe they're on scholarship, maybe they're on partial scholarship. College is a messed up system where you only have 11.7 scholarships. If if, Um, if David Fincher directed a version (laughs) of this where it's into the actual nitty gritty of what these guys have to go through, I would watch the shit out of that. Like it could still be funny, but, but, but I think just really like right now, especially with everything that's happened in the minors, like playing up the, the, the class divide issues and like putting them in the, in this rich town where like none of them fit in. And it's not just like him again, like none of them fit in. And there's, and there's this whole team town issue. Like, I don't know. To me, that's that, that would be way more interesting. And you could still have all the coming of age stuff and you could still tie in all of the, the romantic stuff, but it would be, I think more compelling right now. I think the one thing I would want to see if um, they did remake it is almost kind of combining instead of having kind of Jessica Biel's character and then her younger sister as kind of these two contrasting, like they're both interacting with like the team or members of the team in very different way. Katie is obviously a child and like, she really is not knowledgeable about baseball and loves baseball. And then you have Penley who is just kind of like, at the beginning, she's like, oh, I mean, I like sports. But then she's like, your costume's cute. And like, what's a no hitter? And like, they kind of originally set her up to be like, oh, maybe she like, understands something about baseball, which plays a major role in this place. She spent all of her summers for her whole entire life. You think she would have picked up on something, but whatever. Um, But they set her up a little bit to be like, oh, she's into sports too. But then she's like, very much not, which is fine. But I think it would be cool if there were to do something like it to have her character, I guess, also sort of similar to Annie from Bull Durham, bringing it back to Bull Durham. Because I think it is an interesting thing to get into where, like, often whenever we talk about the way women interact with sports, there's like this, oh, well, you only like sports because you're trying to sleep with the players. And like, really, realistically, those two things should be treated as completely mutually exclusive. We don't say that to a man. Like, we're not saying to a man who's married to like a professional soccer player. Oh, you only like soccer because you're trying to sleep with the soccer player. Like, we grant men the premise of like, you are very interested in the sport and you are very interested in this woman. And those two things are separate in a way that we don't allow for women at all. So I think like exploring the fact that people have their own interests both for activities and sexually and those two things can overlap and that's fine i think it's something that bull durham does really well and i think a movie like this where i mean amy's character is a little predatory in a weird way in bull durham i think um but having it set up on more equal you know footing where it's like jessica everything could be the same except 
she's like not just like oh cool you're a baseball player that's so cool and I don't know anything about baseball I understand all the things that I don't really care I don't think you're special because you're a baseball player yeah I mean you could even make the 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 younger sister an adult also right have them be yeah 22 and 19 and she's still a part of the social group but she's like I'm not I I don't care about you. I'm here for the baseball. I'm here for the game. Like, like, you know, just because like by making her so young, they like automatically desexualize. They they, they take that out of the equation, but but, leaving that open and still emphasizing the fact that like, no, she's actually here because this is what she's interested in. Like would, would add a different element to that for sure. All right. Before we get to the all important final question, uh, any other notes that you guys had any other, any other loose ends uh, that you wanted to to tie up or things you wanted to talk about? Uh, Not on my end. Uh, I have a few. Um, we, we both like were laughing at the like the old, the like old dude with the goatee who actually turned out wasn't that old who hits a home run off of Ryan Dunn in one of the games, uh, and neither of us recognized that that was Kevin Euclid, <laughs> who, who had just been drafted. That, that was year. Kevin Get Uclis? the fuck out of here! Seriously. Yep. <laughs> there are a few minor leaguers who played roles as as players in 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 this and he was one of them and well i mean kevin euclid has always looked like a 35 year old man so i know that, but I, know. I didn't recognize him yeah it's, it's just really wild funny. yeah there, there were a few other things where like kurt gowdy who was a red sox broadcaster is the broadcaster that they bring in and then like he's for some reason calling cape league games like it doesn't i don't he was a long time like big league broadcaster is clearly just for like the star power, but just didn't make any sense. The same way that doesn't make any sense that John C. McGinley turns in the ninth inning and, and is like, was this, was it 95? And Hank Aaron is like, no, it was 96. And you're like, what the fuck is Hank Aaron doing but, there? But talk about a weird little plot hole. Like did Hank Aaron just like wander into this game in the eighth inning? Cause he was like, who's this kid? He oh, worked- you're supposed to be. He worked in player development when he, but like, just like, oh, he just happens to be on like. He just happens to be there, and he doesn't know who is. He was a starting pitcher that game. He wasn't some like random that they pulled in off the sidewalk in the sixth inning or whatever. Like, right. He was a starter. Presumably, a scout would know that. We're supposed to know that that's Hank Aaron. I mean, that's the thing is like we're like there are like again, there's this sort of weird. It. (laughs) I think I think it's like an Easter egg sort of. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, oh yeah, of course um but again like, like i think it that part of the identity crisis of the movie is it doesn't really seem to be marketed as like for baseball fans like i'm thinking of fever pitch like fever pitch when it came out in 2005 was like you are a red sox fan here is this movie just for you like an easter egg like that in fever pitch would have made sense because people watching fever pitch would have been like oh shit like if kevin Euclid was a baby Kevin Euclid was in the background of fever pitch. People wouldn't miss that. But yeah, people weren't watching summer catch because they're like huge baseball fans. Right. Um, I did appreciate this in terms of accuracy. The games are called on the WQRC, which I looked <laughs> up the Q Cape Cod's fresh mix. It's the actual radio station. Nice. So yeah, they got that right. Congrats. Um, uh, there was a funny, just a life cereal product placement that was that just felt like very blatant. He just sets the box down right in front of the camera. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are a few, there were definitely a few of those. Sam Adams. 
Yeah, right. The, the Sam Adams drop at the bar, which obviously multiple times. Drink the Sam Adams, right? <laughs> well, and then so the the scene whenever the brother is giving the little monologue speech, he's out in the back of the bar, like I'm not entirely sure what he's doing. He's like putting cases of beer into a larger box, like he's just kind of moving things around. But like there was Sam Adams, there was like Corona, there were like four beers that were all all seemed to be very strategically like, placed. Yeah, he was like literally he was just moving recycling. them around in view of the camera. <laughs> uh, I, I will give them one more good point for verisimilitude, which was uh, there's the, when he's melting down and the manager goes out to talk to him, the catcher comes out to talk to him and his, his catcher just immediately starts talking about farting and how the ump doesn't like him because he's farting. And that seems like it might just be played for laughs and like is completely unrealistic, but it is not. I will tell you a funny story from this exact same year that this movie came out. 2001 was the year that I was interning for the Oakland days between high school and college and wrapping this full circle. The backup catcher for the A's that year was named Greg Myers. He was a longtime veteran backup catcher up and down from the big leagues. His nickname was crash because he, like Crash Davis had played in like every ballpark in, in professional baseball. He was this, you know, just rickety Oddly old catcher. I remember Crash Davis. I don't know why. No, I mean, Crash Davis is Bull, is Bull Durham. Crash Davis is is Kevin Costner. But what I'm saying is Greg Myers was nicknamed Crash because of, because of his career, his sort of long up and down career. And someone asked him at some event where I was present, or it was in an interview or something, like what, you know, what do you guys talk about? Or have you ever had like a funny discussion? Like, how do you try to calm a pitcher down? Like you've, you have all this experience, like, and, and he said, Oh, one time I went out there and I was like, listen, man, like I'm going to piss my pants if we don't finish the inning in the next like 90 seconds, like we have to get out of the inning. I'm going <laughs> to piss myself right behind home plate. Like we, can we just, can we just please get this done? And like, got the guy to loosen up and laugh enough that he stopped taking himself so seriously. And I got out of the inning and I was like, that is exactly what basically what, what Billy Brubaker is doing by, by talking about farting. Like that's, that's a very real thing when a guy is taking himself too seriously to just shift his mindset, get, get his head out of, of whatever's going on. So I was like, Oh yeah, that's actually, that's actually good baseballing. That's, it's good baseball movie uh, setup. So there you well, go. Like I think you had said, oh, I'm sorry. I, like I think you had said at the time, um, that conversation with his catcher and infield and manager would have happened multiple pitches earlier in his little meltdown. Yeah, right. They shouldn't have let it get that far. But, but. again, they have a whole bullpen that they never, ever, ever, ever use once. In the, well, they use them exactly once in the movie. The closer is used once in the movie. Right. What, when he, when he literally the leaves <laughs> the field. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, if we have nothing left, then we uh, need to get to the all important final question. The only reason this podcast exists, we must ask Micah as the bringer of this movie. Do you still like this movie? I do. Um, it's not a good movie, but that doesn't mean I don't. I can like movies that aren't good. It is absolutely not a good movie, but it is a movie I liked. It was I laughed genuinely out loud a few times. I, you know, I'm all about a summer young romance rom-com. Yeah, I liked it. I like it. Present tense. Will, thoughts uh, on your, your first run through? Yeah, so this is, again, the first time that I've seen this movie. I um, 
I didn't hate it. I didn't like it. I enjoyed the chemistry between Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard. I thought that was very cute. I, I did enjoy that. When the, when the both of them are on, on screen, that's uh, it was kind of a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm a sucker for baseball movies, and I'm a sucker for movies that have like a happy ending. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's okay. It's like I mean, a, I, it's like a 48 out of 100. <laughs> There's certainly a reason that that Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard were cast in like three more movies together after this. Like like that they they ended up in a lot of movies together. Like they someone saw that that they had really good buddy chemistry. Um, uh, including the Scooby Doo movie it was you know one of one of those examples. Um, yeah, so, Matthew Lillard is the current Shaggy. So yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was it, it was better than I thought it was going to be. I was I was worried it was going to be really truly awful. Um, the the love story didn't really work for me. Uh, the just the whole the whole setup didn't really make too much sense to me. But the baseball was enjoyable enough. I wasn't like I wasn't throwing stuff at the screen because there were too many mistakes. Um, and yeah, it was you know it was definitely dated uh comedy wise that most of the most of the the stuff that they're playing for laughs didn't hold up super well um but it you know it's a pretty good cast there's a lot of good actors in it uh that'll that'll carry you through a bad script um or a a, a hole filled script <laughs> as, as this one might have been um yeah i mean it I'm not itching to watch it again, but but it but it it wasn't nearly as painful as a number of ones we've had on on already. I'll say this is is definitely a step up from radio. Yeah, radio was well. It's the same director. It's it's a a, another Mike Tolan movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's he maybe he understands uh, amateur baseball better (laughs) than high school football in the south. I, I think it was, it was fine. It was fine. I didn't hate it. Didn't love it. I, I you know, I, I, I might actually watch this again because I did enjoy, again, that Matthew Willard, Freddie Prince Jr. stuff. Like, it was kind of fun watching them together on screen. I think I, I would watch the movie all over again just for the one line at the very end of the movie whenever, I don't even know his name, but I don't know how else to refer to him. So the guy that proudly sleeps with that woman as he says to use his own language whenever he's giving his little speech on the table in the bar there's this one line when he's like going off and Wilmer Valderrama's character just goes yes (laughs) (laughs) the part of the movie that I laughed the hardest and I think we just rented it we didn't buy it but I might put it back on and just fast forward to the end of the movie just to watch him say yes over and over again because it was so funny it was so well timed and it's like in the fe- even- it's in the fez voice like like he, he, yeah. he literally he's just <laughs> yes <laughs> it's yeah that's really good but it's whenever it's like the five minutes that we see of that character in the movie where he's like a new man he's not a virgin anymore so like that whole scene he's a little more confident and like outspoken than he is at any other point in the movie um but that's that was his one line where he was just thought this was really funny and yeah he just goes yes <laughs> uh all in all a a perfectly acceptable way to spend uh, 104 minutes of uh of your time micah do you want to promote anything <laughs> oh uh, on that note, uh, make sure you're also following us on Twitter and on Instagram at like this movie. 
feel free to jump into the conversation using the hashtag ITILTM, hashtag ITILTM, and we will see you back here next week. But uh, evidently, Micah will not. Think I Like This Movie is created by Noah Frank and hosted by Noah Frank and Will Vitka. Editing by Will Vitka. All music on the show, unless otherwise noted, provided courtesy of the South County All-Stars. Copyright 2021. I'll listen to this episode. It was cold. Gotta feed my god. You should be careful because I have singers at the very end of episodes. Mm-hmm. See? <laughs> Too creepy. Yep. <laughs> it's going to the back end Everything's of the being recorded just because it's not in the flow. <laughs>